Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 21st program in this series. I'm presently in John chapter 5, where I'm explaining the conflict that Jesus provoked with the Pharisees by healing the man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. The Jews confronted Jesus, the religious Jews, confronted Jesus because he healed the man on the Sabbath day, and through Jesus' defense, Jesus is able to proclaim a number of things to the people publicly that the people will have to give some thought to. They will definitely have to think about this, what it is that Jesus has to say to them. And this was a unique way for Jesus to be able to explain a number of truths about himself to the people so they can have exposure to the truth and perhaps be set free and saved. And so in the previous program, I was explaining that Jesus told them directly that he was God manifested in the flesh, that they were complaining that he had healed the man on the Sabbath day, and that this was most likely a divine healing, a divine intervention. And so if it is the divine presence, if it is the living God who performed this healing, and they are challenging Jesus about his participation in this, well, they should consider the fact that only God could have healed the man. Only the divine presence of God would be able to set this man free from his infirmity of 38 years, especially if they considered that it was because of his sin. If it was because of his sin, it would be an expression of a divine judgment, and only the living God would be able to set him free from this divine judgment. So when Jesus responds to the Pharisees, the first thing that he explains is that if he is doing the works that only God can do, then by definition, they should consider that he really is God. And if they are confronting God, they might want to reconsider their position. This is what he explains in verse 19, John chapter 5, verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Now, I have encountered a lot of people who can find this passage challenging, who can find it difficult because of the exchange between son and father, that it appears that there are two different persons who are involved in this transaction. But this is not how the people related to the words that Jesus expressed. I can understand how people might interpret these words today from that point of view, But from the Jews' perspective, this was an absolute proclamation 
that Jesus was God. Consider the earlier verses in verse 15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Verse 18, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God making himself the same as God, in effect. Now, the verse that I relate to the most when it comes to this is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. In verse 6, this is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. A son is given who will be recognized as mighty God. Continuing in verse 6, everlasting father, prince of peace. In verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Again, in verse 6, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, a son is given, a child is born. This is the singular person. This is the one God, the one person. God manifested in the flesh to be among us as a person, to live as a man, and also to engage us as our God, and that he would be the king, the king of kings, and that he would execute proper justice at a certain point when the messianic kingdom is established. And so Jesus publicly proclaims to them that he is this person, and he is available to establish and assert the messianic kingdom and to fulfill the prophecy that was given to Isaiah, as well as many others, in verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. In reference to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, if all judgment is committed to the Son, to Jesus, who has identified himself as the Son of God, he is equal with God, he is considered to be the everlasting Father, the mighty God, he's the same person, then in effect, if he is given the power of judgment, then he must be God. It's another way for Jesus to tell the people that he really is God, that they're talking to God, manifested in the flesh, right there in front of them. And so if he does the works that only God can do, then he must be God. And if he has the authority of judgment, as illustrated by setting the man free from the divine judgment for his sin, 
if he has the power of divine judgment, then he also must be God. He must be the divine. Continuing into verse 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Now, if he says here that he has the power to give people everlasting life, then he must be God, because only God has the power, the authority, to give anyone everlasting life, and not to come into judgment, but to pass from death into life. Continuing into verse 25, this is John chapter 5, verse 25, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who here will live. He's talking about resurrection. If he has the power to raise people from the dead, then he must be God, because only God has the power to resurrect anyone from the dead. He is again referred to as the Son of God in reference to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, whereas a son is given, who is also the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. In John chapter 5, verse 26, it says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. In reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, Nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. A direct reference to the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's John chapter 5, verse 27. Again, John chapter 5, verse 27. And has given him authority to execute judgment, referring to Jesus, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. That's verse 29. So if Jesus is the one, Jesus is the one who can resurrect the dead, then he must be God, because only God can resurrect anyone from the dead. So again, to review this, we have in John chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, if Jesus does the works that only God can do, he must be God. In verses 22 to 23, he has the authority of judgment, and if this is true, he must be God. In verse 24, he has the power to give eternal life, and if he has that, 
then he must be God. And in verses 25 to 29, he has the power to resurrect people from the dead, and so by default, he also must be God. This is his direct defense, his direct defense to the Jews, the religious Jews, who confront him over the issue of healing the man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. So this was his opportunity. This was his opportunity to give them a complete explanation with regards to who he is and his identity and what he came to accomplish. And they needed to make a decision with regards to what they were going to really believe. Are they going to believe that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, or are they going to reject that belief? If they reject that belief, they're going to have to come up with some explanation with regards to the healing of this man. They are going to have to come up with some explanation. But if they will just embrace the truth, the truth of who Jesus is, then they could be saved. But if they do accept him as the Messiah, if they do accept him as God manifested in the flesh, they will, they will have to endure some consequences because not everyone was willing to believe that. As we will be able to see as we continue to look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus, there were a lot of people who refused to believe that Jesus was is the Messiah, that he was the Messiah. They refused to believe that. From what we can tell, most of the religious leaders who had the power, who had the influence to have Jesus arrested and crucified, the biggest concern that they had was their own personal job security, their own personal influence with the Roman Empire, with the people. If Jesus took the position as the king, then they would be at risk of losing a lot of what they had. And so there were many reasons why people were not willing to believe Jesus. There were many reasons. But here in John chapter 5, Jesus confronts the people with the reality of who he is, and he gives them more than enough to think about, more than enough to consider, so that when they make their decision, they will make their decision knowing that if they reject Jesus as God, they are doing so because other things are more important to them than the living God, that the living God is not as important to them as the issues related to their flesh. So when the final judgment takes place, the conversation that will likely take place between the Lord and these people who reject the Lord Jesus The conversation will be simple. It will not be complicated. It will be easy to understand. It will be clear and obvious that the people made an intentional decision to reject the Lord Jesus, even though there was more than enough evidence to show them who he really is. Again, in John chapter 5, verse 29, and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Certainly, the rejection of God is evil. To reject the living God 
is a form of evil and will result in condemnation. Now, the truth is, is that if everyone is evaluated according to their works, according to their deeds, if everyone is evaluated according to the criteria of John chapter 5, verse 29, that those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, there will be a resurrection in a sense, but it will be to send a person to hell. If this is the criteria that those who do good will have a place in the kingdom of heaven and those who do evil will not, if this is the criteria, then by definition, no one, no one will make it into the kingdom of heaven. Everyone will be resurrected for the purpose of experiencing condemnation and being cast into eternal fire. That's what's going to happen. That's the result of being judged according to your works. Therefore, if anyone is going to be resurrected to life, life in the kingdom of heaven, being among the living people of God, those who have been resurrected from the dead spiritually through the indwelling presence of the life of God, the Holy Spirit, if anyone is going to make it into that place in the kingdom of heaven, then the decision is going to have to be made according to different criteria. It is not going to be possible for anyone to enter into the resurrection of life as Jesus describes it, according to their deeds, according to their works. No one will make it according to that criteria. The only way that this can be possible is if God permits a person to enter into the resurrection of life according to his grace and mercy. And that is what he provided through the new covenant. And this is why Jesus came. He came in order to make the provision for forgiveness, in order to die for the sins of the world, so that those who will surrender to the new covenant, who will embrace the forgiveness of sins, who will be resurrected through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the life of God that will remain within a person eternally. If they will embrace the Lord Jesus for the Messiah that he is, and they will embrace him for the solution that he came to provide, if they will identify themselves correctly with the right Messiah, the right person who came to solve these particular problems, if they will believe and trust in the truth that he has revealed, then they will be resurrected to life according to the criteria of what Jesus did for them, of what Jesus did for them, not for what we do for him, but for what he did for us. And so the judgment will be on the basis of, did you trust in and rely on, did you believe in the truth that there was no way that you were going to be able to enter into the resurrection of life and the kingdom of heaven according to your deeds? Did you recognize that and recognize that your only hope would be the forgiveness of God? The forgiveness of God, the mercy of God given to you graciously 
If you can recognize that, if you can believe that and trust in that, then you will have surrendered to the new covenant and you will have a place among the living. Jesus is explaining this to the people at this time. Look, I am God and this is the decision. It is about this. And so if you want to have a place with me in the resurrection of life, then you're going to have to do this. He was teaching them to obey the law. He was encouraging them to live in obedience to the commandments of God so that they would eventually come to the end of themselves through their great sincerity. We would expect them to have great sincerity and they would have great devotion and that they would be committed to trying to accomplish this so that eventually they would see that they could not do it. Therefore, they would then be prepared and ready to receive the mercy of God through the forgiveness that Jesus provided through the crucifixion at the end of his ministry. In verse 30, John chapter 5, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Again, emphasizing that he is the Son of God and that he is the one who will execute proper justice, proper judgment, whereas they won't, because their self-interest will be of greater priority to them than the truth. And the majority of the religious leaders at this time demonstrate this at the end of Jesus' ministry when they find a way to have him arrested and crucified. In verse 31, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. He introduces a new topic, a new subject of witnesses. The Jews confronted him, the religious Jews, confronted Jesus about healing on the Sabbath day. And according to the law of the Sabbath, if Jesus did any work on the Sabbath day, he should have been executed. They should throw rocks at him until he is dead. But for this to be accomplished, they would have to have two or more witnesses who would testify that Jesus did work on the Sabbath day. The man who was healed is one witness. If they would consider that the healing that Jesus performed was a violation of the Sabbath law, if they made the decision that from their perspective as the judges, that's what they think, that's what they believe, they're going to need to have two or more witnesses. And the only witness that they have is the man who was healed. There was no one else. There were a lot of people there at the pool of Bethesda, but Jesus healed the man in a way that there were no recognized witnesses who witnessed what Jesus did. Not even the man who was healed knew who Jesus was when Jesus healed him, and Jesus slipped away. He left. And so the religious leaders did not have enough witnesses 
to convict Jesus, even if Jesus testified against himself. That would not be accepted as legitimate testimony as a second witness to cause a conviction. This was a part of the laws of the Sanhedrin with regards to how they governed trials in order to protect a person who might be suicidal for some reason. So they've only got one witness, but Jesus uses this subject. He uses this topic of witnesses in order to explain to them that while they only have one witness, he has several witnesses. In this case, he lists four different witnesses. John the Baptist, his works, God himself, and the scriptures. He, in effect, has four different witnesses who will testify on his behalf. So they had one witness who would testify against him, and he had four witnesses who would testify on his behalf. In addition to that, he also states at the end of chapter 5 that he has a witness against them, Moses, and he also can consider himself to be a witness. And I will explain this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This program is the 21st program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I focused on chapter 5, verses 23 through 30, where I spoke about the different things that Jesus explained to the Pharisees, to the Jews at that time, about himself, the different ways that he stated that he really was God manifested in the flesh, that if he is the one who is given the power and the authority to execute judgment, then he must be God. If he is the person who raises people from the dead, then he certainly must be God. If he is the person who gives people eternal life, then he definitely is God. In the next program, I will explain the four witnesses that Jesus speaks of on his behalf in response to their attack against him concerning his violation of the Sabbath law and the one witness that they had. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,